And so, Father, we unite our voices with all things living, one common thread through all the praise, gratitude, thanksgiving. For the few moments we have in the Word, come flip the coin for us. Let us see the other side of thanksgiving. Give us a whole new reason to give thanks. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Speaking of thanksgiving, I need to give thanks to somebody, but I can't. Somebody dropped this by the office, a, a delightful essay written by Jessica Shaver. But no name on it, just two words at the top, very good, and then two lines under it and a circle around it. And I agree, it is very good, and I'd give you the credit for it if I knew who you were. But let me just, I want to share this with everybody, just a few lines to get you, to, to help you pick up the flavor of this. The title of it is, Thanks for Nothing. This year I'm thanking God for the things that did not happen. All right? My brother once said that the trouble with being an atheist is that when your motorcycle plunges off a cliff into the Colorado River and you aren't killed, there's no one to thank. I'm a Christian, but sometimes I forget to thank God for the things that haven't happened, okay? So now she's going to give two columns worth. Let me just uh, uh, share a handful with you. I'm grateful for the accidents I wasn't involved in, the illnesses that never developed, and the times I could have been mugged but wasn't. I'm thankful my house didn't burn down when I left the iron on for five hours. We've all done that. I'm thankful that when we left the garage door up all night, nothing was taken. I thank God for the time our neighbors found the convicted rapist. This is kind of, kind of creepy. We found the convicted rapist be outside our bathroom window before he could get in the house. I'm thankful that the phone call in the middle of the night was a wrong number and not someone calling to tell us about a death in the family. I mean, how many times has the phone rung at what, what, 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're absolutely, you're just adrenaline rush, and it's the wrong number. Yeah, this idea of thanks for nothing. Let's confess that as American Christians, we're pretty much programmed to thank God for what we got. I got this, I got that, I got this, and I got that this year, and I got this, and oh God, thank you, thank you. But what would happen if we flipped the coin over and we thank God for what we didn't get this year? Wouldn't that be a novel thought? In fact, I bet you we could sit around the dinner table today at the end of another great Thanksgiving two dinner, and I, I, I imagine we could fill up a list of a hundred reasons why we are grateful something didn't happen. In fact, there's a, there is a study guide in today's worship bulletin. Pull it out. I filled in the first three, but I came up with a list of ten. So I'm going to give you three, then the four through ten is blank. You could easily just do this at the end of a dinner today. Yep, just go around the circle. Hey, guys, let's just thank God for what didn't happen this year. The flip side of Thanksgiving, that's the title of this little homily, the flip side of Thanksgiving, thanks for nothing. As it turns out, thanks for nothing is embedded in the psalm that our father and son team just read. I want to go to that psalm with you. Psalm 116. It's just one psalm away from the shortest chapter in all the Bible, which would be Psalm 117. 116, just two, three, three chapters away from the longest chapter, Psalm 119. But we don't, we don't read Psalm 116 much, do we? I want to take you there. Embedded in this psalm, three thanks for nothings. Three thanks for nothings. Kind of, kind of uh, prime the pump for us as we think about 
things we can be thankful for that didn't happen. But the psalmist opens up. This is Psalm 116. I'm in the NIV, by the way. You didn't bring a Bible. Grab the pew Bible in front of you. It'll be page 416. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The psalmist just begins with this burst of spontaneous, unabashed adoration. Because it's real, I need to tell you, this is rare to come across these words in the, in the Psalter, in the Psalms. I mean, in Psalm 119, David's all over God. He, said, oh, he says, oh, I love your precepts, I love your law, I love your commandments, I love your testimonies, I love your name. Elsewhere in the Psalms, I love your house, I love your salvation. But for David, now we don't know who wrote this, but for David, only one psalm he composes begins with the word, Psalm 18, verse 1, I love you, Lord. I mean, this is, this is not a prayer. This is a testimony. Hey, guys, I want you to know I just love God with all my heart today. That's what's happening here. Only once, David begins, I love you, Lord. In the Old Testament, it was just a little, you know, a little uh, less free to, to express love. But boy, you get to the New Testament. Yo, Peter, do you love me? Come on. Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times you spit on my name. I'm asking you, boy, do you really love me? And the big fisherman's eyes drop to the ground. His bare toe scratching in the sand beside Galilee that early morning. Finally, Peter finds his voice and he said, You know everything, Lord. You know my heart. You know I love you. Why are we so reticent about telling God that we love him? You know, when we're kids, let me tell you, as a parent, as a a grandparent, trust me, the, the sweetest sound in the world is for that little child to throw his or her arms around you and then whisper in your ear, Daddy, I love you. Papa, I love you. Can you imagine what it does to God? Do you think God enjoys it? Are you kidding? Some of us are so sophisticated that we think we outgrow having to ever tell God that we love him. Come on, I'm not a child anymore. I'm mature now. Get a life. Is there ever a time when you quit telling your mother that you love her? Of course not. You tell her until you die. God's the same way. Do you love me? Hey, Dwight, I need to hear this in your prayers more. Do you love me? Tell me, tell me. He loves it. Oh, I love the Lord. My testimony today, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Now, Derek Kidner, in his uh, masterful commentary in the book of Psalms, two-volume commentary, Kidner, I'll put these words on the screen for you. Kidner says, what's, what's happening right here, it is a resolve. You see, that, see it there? It is a resolve to trust God exclusively and worship him explicitly. Oh, I like that. To trust him, to, to trust God exclusively and worship him explicitly. I was visiting with a man in prison last week, and he was sharing with me his earnest testimony of how his adversity has been drawing him nearer and nearer to God by teaching him to trust God. And I said to him, are you serious? I'm not inside these walls, but God is working on that very same lesson in my life. He's trying to teach me to trust him more 
And I have a feeling if this kind of a family Sabbath, we pass the microphone up and down the pews, give a testimony. I have a feeling most of us would testify, yep, that's it. I'm still trying to learn how to trust him, even in adversity. Kidner, I like that line. It is a resolve to trust God exclusively and worship him explicitly. I called on the name of the Lord. Four times in the psalm, I called on the name of the Lord. I will call on the name of the Lord. I call on the name of the Lord. So with this little introductory salvo now, here they come. Three thanks for nothings. Now here's where your little study guide, I I gave you a list of ten. I give you three, that only means seven after dinner. You come up with seven, that'd be great. Pull out your study guide, let's go. Here's the first one. Thanks for nothing, number one. Let's read it first here, verse three. The psalmist, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave, that would be Sheol. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Thanks for nothing, number one. Jot it down. Death and the grave did not snatch me. Write it down. Death and the grave did not snatch me. I made it to the year. The the grave did not get me. I am still alive. Hallelujah. In fact, that's the very last word of this psalm in Hebrew. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. The grave, some of you, some of you, oh, boy, I know your story. Some of you here have had a very close call with death this year. Sheol came a-knocking at your door. And you thought this was it. I'm going to die. But you didn't. Hallelujah. Look, I could, flip, I could flip a picture on the screen right now of a Honda minivan, like an accordion, with two Andrews University students in it. Members here. Should have been dead. Hit a truck. Hit a truck from behind. It's over. Some of you know that this was the year that could have been your last year on this planet. I thank the Lord, hallelujah. The grave and death did not snatch me. Ah, when's the last time we thank God for what we didn't get? I got this, I got that, I got this. No, when is the last time we thank God for what didn't happen to us? That's what the psalmist is doing here. Death did not get me. Death in the grave did not snatch me, hallelujah. Thanks for, no- thanks for nothing, number one. Here comes thanks for nothing, number two. Jot it down. Evil and tears did not overcome me. Death in the grave did not snatch me. Evil and tears did not overcome me. What, what's that all about? Let's go to verse five. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. That's a key word. We're coming back to that word. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Verse 7, return to your rest. A little bit of self-talk now. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Anybody saying amen to that one? Come on. He's been good to me this year. That little word, if we only knew how good he's been to us. That little word, unwary, in the NIV. Some of your translations render it simple. This is open-minded, open to the instruction of wisdom or folly. It actually includes a a touch of naivete so that if we had a good sense, bad sense meter right here, your needle would be past midpoint leaning towards bad sense. You're not careful. You're not watching. And evil almost, the evil one almost took you down. That's what he's describing here. The Lord watched me 
unwary though I was. Oh, it can happen, can it? I'm reading a book right now entitled Philosophers Who Believe the Spiritual Journeys of Eleven Leading Thinkers. It's a collection of 11 testimonies from these philosophers who have, who have embraced faith in God and faith in Christ from Mortimer Alder to Alvin Plantinga, taught at Calvin College for years and then ended his career teaching down here for just as long at Notre Dame University. Nicholas Wolterstor, still teaching Yale University. One of the philosophers, you know, I don't move in those heady circles and I had never heard his name before, Frederick Supp, S-U-P-P-E. He describes in his testimony how he grew up in a home with an abusive father, not sexually abusive, but, but, but verbally abusive, uh, physically abusive at times, and how he, at the age of 18, he ran away from home. So I'm going to just go off to college on my own. He, he bumped into a youth pastor who got him into a youth group, and so here's this kid, a freshman in community college, but he finds Christ. He also discovers that he has a love for philosophy, things of the mind, and it just keeps blossoming for him until academically, professionally now, he's in the thick as a philosopher. But as it would happen, speaking of unwary or simple-minded, Sup became enmeshed in a relationship that spiraled out of control. Years later, he described his unraveling, the unraveling of his faith as a consequence of this relationship. I'm going to put his words on the screen for you, Frederick Supp. It was no dramatic, decisive decision to leave the church when it finally came. Rather, it was, as Downing once observed, the erosion that precedes the major lapse is seldom publicly visible. Some of you right now are going through an erosion that you might not even be aware of yourself. It's just quietly eroding. You're unwary. You're being a little simple-minded. You're being a bit naive in the way you're living your life. And somebody is just drawing you to the edge of a precipice, a moral precipice. It just happens. You don't see it. People outside of you don't see it. It's just this quiet erosion, seldom publicly visible. Keep reading. Characters dissolve much as they are built up by a slow accumulation of seemingly unimportant deeds. Keep reading. As our relationship that we just spoke about, as our relationship moved along its counterproductive course, doing immeasurable harm to both of us, I gradually moved from non-practicing to non-believing and eventually to positive disbelief. Toward the end, I became an atheist and viewed the very possibility of eternal life as a bad joke End quote. Unwary, unsuspecting. Gotcha. The psalmist is saying, I could have been there, but it didn't happen for me. Keep reading here, verse 8. For you, Lord, have delivered me, unwary though I have been. You delivered me from death. You delivered my eyes from tears. You delivered my feet from stumbling over the moral precipice that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. It could have been worse, the psalmist is exclaiming. And as you read Frederick Supp's tortured testimony of that spiritual spiraling, spiraling out of control, you realize, man, this could be a lot worse. Thank God I've been through what I've been through, but I didn't go that. You kept me, unwary though I am. You stopped me. Thanks for nothing, God. Thanks for nothing. Number one, death in the grave did not snatch me. Number two, evil and tears did not overcome me. And finally now, number three, thanks for nothing. Here it is in verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? By the way, there's a great thanks. There's a great thanksgiving. Go back, please, to the uh, verse 12. There's a great thanksgiving thought right there because the way we 
do Thanksgiving, it's I got, I got this, I got that, I got that. We got this mist, list a mile long. Okay, so here's the question. The psalmist just raises it. What are you going to do to God to show your gratitude for his generosity? That's what he's asking. What, what is he saying here? What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, God has already given away. Listen, listen, listen. He's already given away. It's called tithe. It's called tithe. He says, you return that to me. It's already mine anyway. You want to show me you're generous? You want to show me that you're grateful for my generosity? Return to me. Return to me your tithe. Your offerings out of a heart of grateful love. I love the Lord. I give this to you. It's a good question to ask at Thanksgiving time this year of bountiful blessings. What shall I return? Let's read it again, verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Ah, here comes verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Thanks for nothing. Number three, would you write it down, please? Grace and salvation did not abandon me this year. You kept your grace going. You kept your salvation within reach. The Hebrew actually should be translated. Now, I I take up the cup. It's not lift up. I take up the cup that has been placed in front of me. I take the cup of salvation up now. Can you imagine all the ways God has poured out himself, his grace? The floodgates of heaven have opened up. He's poured out his grace on you and me. Reminds me of that old hymn, Oh, to grace, how Great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind me closer, Lord, to thee. Now, come on, keep going. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Thanks for nothing, God. You didn't take the grace grace away. I'm the one that left you this year when you had every right to leave me. Thanks for nothing. Thanks for staying. Thanks for your grace and salvation in this cup. Thank you, God. Wow. Back to Frederick Sup. One more moment. So here's this philosopher who finds God, then walks away from God, and then God finds him. No, he refines God again. Now he's writing. He's back to God now. And, and this, this is choice. Put it on the screen. My problem. So he's speaking as a very candid now, very candid. My problem, his emphasis, is that I am scared, now that I'm back, that if I don't indulge in spiritual exercises, in good works, in various acts of faith, I will once again reject God. I do not delude myself here. I fully have within me. Now, he's making a very significant point that you and I had very well for us to get. I have fully within me the capacity to turn my back on God and to walk away once again. Free choice is so highly valued in this universe that you get free choice all the way through your life. There never comes a moment when God says, okay, you're locked in. You can't be lost now. Won't happen. No, God says, you have the free choice. You have the choice until the last day if you wish. (laughs) I'm wooing you. I'm winning you. I want you to stay. But if you want to walk away again, that's what this brilliant mind is saying. You can walk away. 
I have the capacity in me to walk away again. So he's concerned. Now, keep reading. In my disconsolation over that realization, through dark nights in which I become so desperate that I have to pray to God for extra grace merely to be able to open the sufficient grace already granted me. My God, give me that grace just to take the grace you already have given me. I came to realize that I lack in myself even the resources to accept God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. Keep reading. My very faith, my very acceptance of God is not in my power. It is a gratuitous gift of God, and I struggle to make that realization more than episodic, more than just another episode in my life. Everything we have, even in salvation, even our faith is a gift. You, can, you can't conjure up enough faith. Well, I'll, get up, I'll just screw up enough faith, and then God will save me. Are you kidding? The faith you have is already from him. To every man and woman has been granted a measure of faith. The scriptures are clear. Just a mustard seed, that's all you need. But you have enough to reach out to me. But it's your call. It is your choice. You may walk away and break my heart, but I'll let you. Wow, what kind of God is this? Oh, we need to thank him today for what didn't happen this year. Here they are again. Thank, thanks for nothing, number one. Death in the grave did not snatch us this year. Thanks for nothing, number two. Evil and tears did not overcome us this year. And finally, thanks for nothing, number three. Grace and salvation did not abandon us this year. Read it one more time with me. Verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will take in my hands the cup of salvation and I will call on the name of the Lord. It's very interesting that word for salvation in the Hebrew is this, Yeshua. What name does that sound like, by the way? Yeshua. Joshua. And Joshua is the Hebrew name of Jesus. So that the psalmist is saying, I take in my hands the cup of Jesus. For Frederick's sup, for you and me, that's it. The reason for Thanksgiving, everything. Everything can be laid at the feet of a God named Jesus. I take up the cup of Jesus, Yeshua, and I call upon the name of the Lord, who laid down, yes, he did, who laid down his life for me. Let me end with a story. You didn't hear the story. Because we, two Fridays ago, we were so caught up with the immense tragedy of Paris, France, that we missed the story that 24 hours before Paris, France, there were two terrorist bombings in the port city of Beirut, Lebanon. The world missed this story. But thanks to a doctor's blog, the editors of the South Bend Tribune did something... I've never seen them do this. They wrote a signed editorial in which they say, listen, we're not going to put this as a little story, a little three-inch column somewhere. We're going to tell you the story in our editorial because you haven't heard it. Here's the story. This is the day before the Friday, so that would be Thursday. Father, he's an auto mechanic. He's got two kids, little eight-year-old daughter. They have just gone to prayers in the mosque. They've been praying. They've come out of the mosque now and spread out before them is an open-air market. I mean, all the merchants are hawking their wares, their goods, their produce, and daddy and little girl are walking along admiring this and admiring that when all of a sudden, in a split second, there is a blinding flash yards away, fortunately far enough, 
A suicide terrorist has detonated his bomb vest, taking his life and killing all those around him. The dust settles. Father has his daughter. And as the father's watching where the dust has settled, he sees a man beginning to run. And the man is running straight for the mosque where the father and daughter have just emerged from. The man with a look of determination. And that daddy, one split second, realizes what's happening. This is a second bomber. He's going to go into that packed mosque. And without thinking further, the young father starts running. As fast as he can run, he's running behind the terrorist, and coming from behind, he tackles the bomber to the ground, and when they hit the ground, the father throws himself over the bomber to somehow shield what is inevitably next, and it was next. And his little girl watched as her father disappeared. That night, a Lebanese physician said, I need you to hear a story you'll not hear now with all the preoccupation up there. And the South Bend Tribune actually is a a, a Lebanese doctor's blog, and they quote it here, and I I read the words, these words. Tonight, Adele, that would be Adele Termas, the one who gave his life for the sake of the others. Tonight, Adele is no longer of this world, but his legacy will live on for years, and the repercussions of his heroism will become a tale to tell. Adele is the reason we are not talking about fatalities in the three digits, digits today. He is the reason for some families that some families still have their sons, daughters. They still have their fathers and mothers. He is a Lebanese hero whose name should be in front and center of every single news outlet on earth. He died a savior. He gave his life so that others might live. We know the truth, same truth, desire ages, and the familiar, familiar words captures this Thanksgiving theme. Put it on the screen for you. To the death of Christ, we owe even this earthly life The bread we eat is the purchase of his broken body. The water we drink is bought by his spilled blood. Never one saint or sinner eats his daily food, but he is nourished by the body and the blood of Christ. The cross of Calvary is stamped on every loaf. It is reflected in every water spring. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and I will call on the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, God, thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you for this, thank you for that. We've been doing it the whole weekend long. But somebody flips the coin for us, and suddenly we remember thanks for nothing is a huge prayer to pray. Truth is, our thanks for nothing prayers Because of Calvary, become a thanks for everything prayer all over again. And we do thank you for the cup of Yeshua, the cup of Jesus and his salvation and grace that we cling to today. Don't ever let us let go of him. Ever, ever, ever. And we will thank you forever and ever and ever. In Christ, amen.